Punch drunk. The punches weren't really necessary. Maybe they were super necessary. Welcome to episode 31 of the Punch Drunk Podcast, your favorite combat sports podcast hosted by two dudes who can't fight and know way less about fighting than they think they do. I'm your host, Lewis, and I'm joined, as always, by my co-host, Adam. And after a short hiatus, we are back, baby. Adam, how you doing? Mate, so good. So good to see you. Not going to lie, I missed the theme song. Every now and then I forget how fucking good it is. <laughs> It absolutely slaps. I know one day you're just going to leave me hanging because someone's going to come snap you up to do podca- podcast intro music creation for a full-time gig. And you'll be like, punch drunk, what's that? I'm dripping in gold chains and beats now. Yeah, I definitely am patting myself on the back there. But uh, it's just fun. It just gets me in the mood every time. I'm like, it was an accident. That, every that time. Uh, yeah. Um, every time it gets me in the mood. Tell us everything starting from you land in London. I'm sorry, Lewis's family. I don't give a fuck about you. I just want to know about the fights. Tell me everything about (laughs) fighting that happened in that trip. Wow. Okay. It was just an incredible time. Yeah. First and foremost, had a brilliant time back in the UK, seeing friends, family, all that good stuff. But no one's here to listen to that. We want to hear about my experience going to the O2 Arena for the first time for UFC London. And mate, it absolutely exceeded all of my expectations in every possible way. Um, Headed out to the weigh-ins and the the fan Q&A and the weigh-ins on the Friday afternoon. Darren Till was there. He took some fan uh, question and answers. That was really good. And then, and then the weigh-ins happened, and there was just so much electricity. The arena was, or the, the you know the section of the arena that they cordoned off for the weigh-ins was was quite full. There was definitely some interest there. Uh, so that was just free to show up to get into, and it was a great time. Like everyone was in such good uh, such a good mood there was just a real buzz around the place everyone was just talking to each other like complete strangers just all there to share in their love of UFC it was really cool there was like there was a few lines going in and you see all the different media members going in and the VIPs and such and so you saw a few familiar faces working their way through uh, some of the people we know and love from the MMA media and that's where, in line for the first time, I got got to meet the legendary Mac Malley from from Twitter, uh, which was really cool. I saw him; he stood out like a sore thumb, of course, with his long ginger locks, his beard, his bright orange beanie with a cigar cigarello sticking out the top of it. So, yeah, that was cool to meet him and all of the guys uh, working with him for MMA on point. Had a quick chat, and then we headed into the weigh-ins. And yeah, man, it was it was an electric atmosphere. We were sinking beers even for the (sighs) weigh-in. Tell you what, though, they get you. They get you with the price of those beers at the O2. You're in a locked environment. It's a a cashless arena. 
And yeah, you're you're paying through the nose for a, for a pint of Budweiser. Having said that, it's probably still cheaper than Sydney prices for a beer. Even if you're you're you know in a closed environment in London, it's still cheaper than Sydney. So you know, shout out the O2 Arena. Uh, but it was a blast. But the best part of that evening was afterwards, you know, I always talk about it. One of my favorite podcasts, they are setting the bar for everyone who's dabbling in this game. The Fight Disciples hosted an impromptu sort of fan session at a pub in the O2 venue. So it's not just an arena, the O2, for those who haven't been. I'd never been before either, but it's sick. It's, there's a huge concourse around it and you've got bars, restaurants, cinemas, bowling alley, shopping outlets, you name it. It's there. And there's an awesome pub over there. And we just had a we just had a great time. Nick, Pete, Holden Court. We're all just in an ever-expanding circle. Um, just chatting fights, man. It was it was such a cool time. Everyone was getting rowdier and rowdier as the night went on. I had tickets to go to Cage Warriors that night at the O2, like a five-minute walk away from where I was standing. And we were having such a good time, just necking pints and talking shit. But I didn't go. I had the cage, I had the ticket in my pocket, ready to go, and I didn't even go to Cage Warriors because we were having such a good time. There was a bunch of Welsh boys in who were there to support uh, to support their boy, and it was it was just a great time. There was a, a big um, big Welsh guy, Sean, who looked a little bit like Tai Tuivasa. And I was the first one to spot it and point it out. And I went, holy shit, it's the white tie to Ivasa. And so, of course, he was just doing shoeys for the rest of the night in this pub, which was which was pretty awesome. Uh, oh, so that, so was, that was great. you started that because I listened to the Fight start- Disciples pod and they were talking about it. <laughs> so you started that. Yeah, I started it. I just looked around and went, fucking hell, that's a white tie to Ivasa. And everyone looked and went, oh, yeah, close enough. <laughs> Yeah, they said he was and this doing guy was just, just for like three days straight after that. Mate, he just, he didn't stop. He was an absolute machine. You know, someone who just puts the piss away, like he's like a semi-pro rugby player in Wales, young kid, and he can just <laughs> drink like a, like an absolute weapon. There was no stopping him. It was, it was absolutely outrageous, but it was just a good, such a good time, man. All different fans of the fight game. And we just, we were just there. And then to top the night off, who should roll into the pub but the former champ, Brandon Moreno himself. Holy fuck. Yeah, mate, that was really cool. And he was so gracious with his time. Everyone was just like, is that fucking Brandon Moreno? Yeah, it is. Everyone just swamped him. It was like, Brandon, can I get a picture? There we go. Better late than never. Sorry. Uh, it was... <laughs> it was it's, <laughs> it's been two weeks. Adam's a little rusty with the roadcaster there. Oh, mate, I'm battling. Mate, that was so. That was a really cool experience. Go home. Uh, it wasn't too big of a night uh, in the end, like l- late night wise. Uh, went home, got up, and started preparing myself for the next day. So I figured the best way to get ready for the UFC was to head out with with the with with my wife, with our friends who were staying with. We hit the Portobello Road markets in the morning, and then we posted up in a gym bar for the afternoon. You know, great way to prepare for the fights is just necking all kinds of gin and tonics and gin cocktails and. It was a good time, real good time. So headed over to the O2 Arena. And of course, on the just as we head out the tube station, which goes to the O2, I saw Mac Malley again. I was like, hey, dude, like, I'm definitely not stalking you, but like, what's going on? And we, we just chatted for ages, talked some NFL, um, talked yeah, talk to some of the guys who were with him. Uh, so I was by myself rolling solo for the event. 
uh, and then just happened to be seated near Mac and his team, and they had a spare seat. So I just went and watched the fights with them, which which certainly added some flavor to the event. And what a event it was. Like, I can't put into words. You've obviously all seen it by now. You heard the crowd. I can't tell you what the atmosphere was like. When Paddy won, so many beers just went everywhere. Everyone got coated in a combination of beer, probably some piss as well, as is tradition in the UK of people not wanting to leave their seats. So yeah, the atmosphere was just on another level. The celebrations were insane. And I'll be honest with you, as a fan who was there, I got no time for the criticism that was coming the way of like Molly getting in there with Paddy, Darren Till getting in there with Tom Aspinall, all keyboard tough guys want to say, oh, it's still in the moment. No, 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 no. There is a brotherhood and a camaraderie between these fighters that doesn't really exist that much in the sport because of what a dog-eat-dog world it is in mixed martial arts. But there is something real and tangible and special with the relationship between a lot of these UK fighters and for them to be there together on home soil, all of them getting Ws in devastating fashion. It just made the night that much more special. It truly was one of the best nights of my life. And Uncle Dana's bringing it back to the UK later in the year. So you know your boy's going to be back there. Yeah, that's, that's such a good point to go. Before we d- touch on the insane finishes and the insane card, that you were, like people from the exterior were saying, you know, oh, that's a bad look. She shouldn't have jumped in, blah, 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 all that bullshit. It's like you weren't there. You don't know what it was like. And the like the reason that I can like empathize with that so accurately is because just on the weekend I was at the AFL when Lance Franklin kicked his one thousandth goal and the entire everybody ran on the SCG. And in the week since that, so many people have said, Oh, it was a bad look, it was dangerous, there should have been more security, blah 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 blah. It's like I was there on the fucking ground and not one person felt unsafe for a second. Like everybody was in a bright, happy mood. Nobody was in there to harm anyone. It felt perfectly safe. Everyone you could tell felt safe. Everyone was just so happy and fuck you, you weren't there. So stop talking about it. Mate, I absolutely love that because I obviously saw the scenes on Twitter and it was one of those sporting scenes where regardless of whether you know a jot about Aussie rules football, about the AFL, who Lance Franklin is, It was just one of those moments you behold as a sports fan and go, wow, I wish I was there to experience that. That shared joy of 70,000 people or whatever it was. It didn't matter what the score in the game was. It didn't matter what team you were there to cheer for. That was like a moment that transcended everything about the competition of sports and people were just there to celebrate an incredible achievement. And that's exactly what it was like in the O2 on, on the 19th of March or whatever date the, the the fight was. And yeah, it was just just a spectacular night. The the fans put on a a great, great show. Just just yeah. I I loved every second about it and I can't can't wait to go back. I actually think your accent might have might have gotten a little bit Liverpool-ish since uh, we last spoke. <laughs> <laughs> it's entirely possible. Uh, that was the only thing with, after the week of London and me listening to all the fire pods and watching all the coverage. I was like, geez, I'm sick of this fucking accent. <laughs> <laughs> what a dog. Uh, 
in all seriousness, let's just get stuck into this card. I'm, I know, listeners, it's yeah, a little man. bit delayed, but Lewis has been living up the high life. We did, I didn't want to interrupt that. We didn't want to give you a terrible pod that sounds like it's coming out of a walkie-talkie. We just wanted to nail it, and he has so many good stories to tell. Let's get straight into the card. Mate, you start wherever you want to start and finish wherever you want to finish, and I'll just follow your lead. I mean, the obvious starting point is Paddy the Batty, right? Oh, he Paddy the Batty. Oh. Yeah, exactly right. <laughs> he was really that. It felt like he was the guy that everyone was there to see, and you just. You know, you heard Scout's accents everywhere. It was hilarious. It was like they just cut out a little piece of Liverpool and dropped it off down in, in London. And he wasn't the main event and he should not have been the main event. He shouldn't have been the co-main event. But, you know, third from the top was perfect billing for him. And it just, it got to a fever pitch. Actually, this is, I've just remembered this, that there were a couple of people sat in front of us who got up and left after Paddy the Baddies fight and never came back. Now, I don't know whether that they just went and sat back in their own original seats and they just seen some empty seats in front of us and snaked them. I do not know what the crack was there, but they just disappeared. And it was, it was a man and it was a, a, a man, you know, probably late thirties, early forties and his young son. And it certainly felt like he was just there to chaperone his son and take him to the fights. And I, maybe he just, the kid wanted to see Paddy the Baddy and his dad was like, all right, kid, we're going now. So he really did have that feel. And I'm sure, uh, you know, there was a few incidents like that. It really was, the crowd was such pro Paddy the Baddy. He is such a fan favorite over there in the UK. It's really hard to describe. And, you know, as in his previous fight, he got clipped and he got clipped hard. He shot that shitty single leg, but... He did get the job done as expected. He controlled and dominated the grappling when he got his position. There was a beautiful hip toss judo throw to to get the uh, get the fight Kazula to the ground, and then it was easy pickings once he won, you know, to get the rear naked choke and end the fight. Just a really excellent performance, deserving of his bonus, and we'll talk about the bonuses in a little while. But just a really good performance for him. Um, yeah, he obviously still needs to tighten up his game, tighten up his defense if he's going to hang with the guys at the top of the division. And I've heard people criticize him and say, yeah, well, he's been fighting for so long. Da, 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 quality of his opposition. Look, the reality is the kid's an entertainer. People tune in to see him fight. And yeah, he might, he might eat some shots, but he seemingly is quite a durable fighter. Kazula hits hard, man. He was throwing. And, and that one that landed was a clean flush shot. And he just, Paddy just ate it the way he did against um, Vendramini in his, in his debut. Of course, there's going to be tougher tests ahead. But they're going to come down the road because we all heard about how much Paddy's getting paid now, 12 and 12 with the 50K bonus. Obviously not enough. But of course, he's not going to be fighting guys who are far more dangerous at that kind of contract. So he's wisely and appropriately said, yes, I'll just take my time and fight the guys as they come. And when my contract reflects my true worth to the company, I'll start fighting the, the absolute assassins of the division, which to me makes total and complete sense. Yeah, it makes sense to me too, man. But also, like, you can't be a fighter forever. And I'm like, you know, he's going to get that contract if he keeps winning. So, like, if he thinks he's as good as he is, why don't you just take those fights for a little bit less money? It's not like your stock isn't going to rise by the millions if you win them and then get the bigger <laughs> contract. Yeah, I, I agree. But also, 
he's in a great position now to leverage and renegotiate his contract you know, potentially main event a fight night in the UK later in the year. Like that is entirely possible, or at least co-main event. He wins that in spectacular fashion. Oh, let's renegotiate again. So I understand what he's doing. Of course, I don't think that I haven't seen any one person say, oh yeah, 12 and 12 is the right amount of money. But what I have seen is a lot of moron fans who in one breath say, Paddy's ducking Taporia and then say, oh, UFC doesn't pay their fighters enough. It's like, which one is it? You can't have it both ways. You can either say, yeah, he's ducking it and he should fight him no matter what. It's on site. Or, yes, he's doing the right thing, winning some easier matchups for, you know, at the beginning of his UFC career. He's only two fights into his UFC career. He's 27 years old. He is still a child almost relative to a lot of the other guys in terms of his octagon experience, his age, etc. So, yeah, I just, as his tradition, right, a lot of just, MMA fans who live purely online are just tying themselves up in backwards ass arguments over and over and over again. It is what it is, but he certainly deserves some more money. One thing I will say though, and I haven't heard anyone talk about this, he openly said he was taking a massive pay cut to join the UFC. Massive pay cut, and that's clear. And that's one of the reasons why he turned down offers from the UFC previously. He got himself financially secure by fighting in Cage Warriors for a few more years than he needed to, to continue to develop. He then joined the UFC. What people aren't mentioning is he has also signed this seven-figure contract with Barstool Sports. Now, obviously, the two aren't, don't go hand-in-hand hand and the UFC should be paying him more. But make no mistake, he doesn't sign this contract with Barstool Sports if he's not in the UFC. Barstool doesn't give a fuck about Cage Warriors fight, fighters. They care about guys at the biggest show in town, and that's the UFC. So there are plenty of other perks that come along with what the UFC provides in terms of platform for fighters. And again, this is not saying this 12 and 12 is okay. I'm just saying they've made a strategic move. That's what the UFC was offering you know, for his initial contract. That's what they offer a lot of regional fighters when they come into the scene. So he took that and leveraged his position with the UFC to make a shitload of money from Barstool Sports. So... Yeah, it's, it seems like him and his management team and advisory team are doing probably doing the right thing. Yeah, and just to go back to the fight, I was so happy to see that he could use his ground game in the, in the UFC yeah. octagon. Like, there's so much talk about it. Obviously, us hardcores have seen a fair bit of it, but for pretty much most of America, if not all of America and a lot of other fans, they hadn't seen it. They might have heard about it. They probably hadn't even heard about it. They might have just thought he was a striker because of his only UFC fight. So it was so good to That's see it, him just get on the ground and not only like look comfortable, but just look so explosive and just destroy. It was easy. It was it easy. Was so and you just... Though. Now, obviously, I don't know how he's going to go, like what his grappling stacks up to to someone in the top 15, the top 10. We don't know until we see it. But we just saw him go through Kazula on the ground like a melting hot knife through the the sloppiest of butter. Like it was, ju- it was just very, very, very easy. So yeah, a really good performance from Paddy Paddy. Um, in terms of in terms of his ground game, he obviously needs to avoid taking shots and, and figure out a way to to jumpstart himself, as he says, before he eats a big shot, because there will be someone who puts him away cold early in a fight if he keeps up like this. Yeah, someone with that, like with precision and power, will um, could put his lights out. But that's further down the track. I want to talk about 
the fight just before Paddy that pretty much just cemented this card on already being historic. It didn't matter if none of the UK fighters won after it because it was that epic. But Molly's KO, holy shit, man. <laughs> no one could believe what they were seeing. And the funny thing is, again, I me being, you know, being the armchair fan, you stood there. Throughout the fight, she was starting to she was trying to throw a few spinning techniques, mostly you know, like spinning back kicks, I guess, guess they were. And they just weren't effective or weren't landing. And a couple of times I I, I leaned over to the guys behind me and was like, man, she's got to cut out this spinning shit. Like that is that isn't her bag. It's just not gonna work. <laughs> Listen to Pudge Dog. <laughs> Listen to Punch Drunk. We know what we're talking about. Hey, the disclaimer's in the intro. Two dudes who can't fight and know way less about fighting than they think they do. What <laughs> do we it, know? Uh, but, yeah, apparently, you know, she, she set it up beautifully. Uh, obviously, it's a technique she's worked on. But in fairness, it wasn't a spinning back kick to go. It was a, it was a, it was a spinning back elbow. But, my goodness, it, it felt like in the arena that everyone felt it connect. You know, one of those was just like, <gasps> And Luana Carolina just looked like a corpse on the ground, man. She didn't move. Like, at one moment, I was like, oh, my gosh, there's a dead body in there. It was horrendous. Have we heard from her? <laughs> Did she wake up? No, her jaw's wired shut, man. She's feeding through a tube for the next six months. Actually, I don't know. I'm sure, I'm sure, hopefully, she's okay. But yeah, so. holy crap. And that was the best thing that Molly could have done. It just has made her overnight a much bigger star than she was she was already becoming a fan favorite but she just blew up from it she signed with barstool sports now and like you know i think she's the second mma fighter both her and paddy from a you know small gym in liverpool it is really really cool to see that they've been through so much together they consider themselves you know that brother sister relationship they and they support each other so much you saw the footage of paddy from backstage watching the fight when he's preparing for his own fight where the pressure is absolutely mounting and he's just there all he cares about is watching uh, molly mccann fight and then obviously she came out to celebrate with him she was hilarious so what you you saw snippets of it but she was just walking around the octagon the whole time she had a headset on she was listening to the commentary she was necking howler head and straight out the bottle she was chatting to dana white she was they we needed mccann cam in you know just in the corner of the television for the fans to see what was going on while paddy was fighting everything was going on it was great it was just so much fun seeing that happiness as i said that just pure joy for your teammate and your friend it was really cool to see and her knockout was just spectacular they better nft the shit out of that because i'm gonna buy so many copies of it <laughs> it was absolutely incredible and poor carolina she is she is now going to end like that knockout is going to be in ufc highlight reels for time in memoriam that's going in that's going into the new intro for pay-per-views they are going to ram that knockout down your throat 100 percent. And, and so they should also this will probably sound bad to the casual fan that doesn't get mma but there just isn't that many flatline ko's like that in the women's divisions there just isn't so there isn't molly said that herself molly said that herself ko it just makes it this insanely rare thing like if a man did that yeah it's fucking insane and crazy but this is actually more impressive 
It's fucking yeah. crazy what she did. And just in the last round too, and she was fatiguing. They were both fatiguing, but Molly sort of looked like she was on the just slow downward trajectory in that round. And I, cause we had her in the parlay. I started being like, Oh fuck, fuck. This is going to ruin the parlay. And then boom. And I was out of my fucking chair screaming at the TV at 7am. <laughs> It was electric, man. It was it was so so good. It was just so much to like. Um, yeah, uh, I don't know what else to say other than wow. And I'm going to watch that over and over and over again. Let's go to which fight do you want to go to? The co-main. Yeah, let's let's go to the co-main. Holy shit, Arnold Allen making statements. And we, we talked about this in our preview show for this pod, how conflicted I in particular was, just wanting to root for Arnold Allen, hometown boy, all that kind of stuff, or home country boy. And he's on this amazing winning streak. He's, you know, not really well, he's not really heralded. People not really talking about him. He's been away from the scene for a while. And we obviously have Dan Hooker, burn the boats. The, the just a dude is willing to scrap with anyone, any place, any time, any weight class. And he's shown that over and over again throughout his career. But Dan Hooker got beat badly, badly. Um, I just think Arnold Allen was just on it, man. He was just, he knew that this was his coming out party. He knew the opportunity he had. He knew with a performance like this, he's banging on the door for the next title shot or a title eliminator at 145. Like he just knew and he was on and he came out and put a pace on Dan Hooker that he was just not expecting. And Dan, I think, wanted to be the bigger fighter, wanted to take control of the center of the octagon and, you know, work his techniques, work his strikes. He just couldn't do it. Arnold just came out like a bat out of hell and almost put him away. Uh, and then and then let up. He didn't want to burn himself out. He's a very muscular dude. So we can see those more built dudes don't necessarily have the cardio as, as someone maybe like Dan Hooker, who's a bit of a leaner build. But he backed off and, yeah, came back and, and put Dan Hooker away. But it was, it was a pretty one-sided beatdown. Really impressive yeah. performance. Beatdown, one-sided, uh, pretty ugly and bittersweet. For obvious reasons, we love Dan Hooker, yeah. and it was just—I was kind of sad for him, man, because I, I, we may as well talk about it right now. Like, where do you think he goes from here? There's no like, obviously he's going to get fights because he's done so many favors for the UFC, but it's like—is that title dream over? Yeah, yeah. Um, I, I title dreams over for Dan at this stage, just because he's—you know—it's not even his age; it's. And even you can lose a few fights and put it back together. The reality is the young guys in 145 and 155 are some of the baddest dudes technically on the planet. We talked about this. The depth of these divisions now is just absolutely absurd. And so he's not, he can't go to 170. He's not big enough to go, I don't think, to go to 170. So it's like, well, does he go back to lightweight? Where does he go? Oh, all I know is if Dan Hook is fighting, I don't give a damn where, when what time of day or night it is, I'm tuning in live to see that man fight because he is a an electric draw. You just he just doesn't do boring fights. That's just the Dan Hooker way. 
Now people are saying, oh, maybe you should retire. Da, 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 da. No, Dan Hooker's got a nice juicy from the contract from the UFC. And as long as he wants to fight and as long as his body's good and he's not taking too much damage over and over again, I want to see Dan Hooker keep fighting. Now, if he doesn't, then that's his prerogative. If he's made enough bread now to hang it up and retire, good for Dan Hooker. I'm very, very pleased for him. Maybe he has, maybe he hasn't, but this man deserves to go out in his own time and the UFC will certainly allow that. So, you know, I don't want him necessarily to become a gatekeeper right away because he's been fighting the baddest dudes in the division. His, he just, his resume is murderer's row. Just look at his, you know, Arnold Allen, he's going to fight for the title. Uh, you know, Islam Makhachev is going to be fighting for the title. These, these are dudes he's, you know, it's now clear that he doesn't quite belong at the top of the division. And I think if we're being honest, we probably knew that. I mean, we talked about that before the Makachev fight. We're like, we didn't think he could get it done. We don't think he's quite that elite, elite fighter. He's a damn good fighter. But if he gets it done, wow. And then in the Arnold Allen fight, obviously Arnold is a high-ranked fighter, huge winning streak, et cetera, et cetera. And you would say, yeah, technically Arnold, Arnold Allen's the better fighter. But... Dam might be the bigger guy, you know, if he can establish the center of the octagon and, and outstrike Arnold Allen and keep him at range, maybe he, maybe he can get it done. But there's still many, many fights to like for Dan, uh, you know, in the top 15 of, of either of these divisions. So let the man take some time off. He's been very active over the last 18 months. Give himself six months off to just really rest, recover, no sparring, none of that, just, just chill. And then let's see what's what for Dan Hooker later in the year. Yeah, I can't add anything to that, but I Which hope, he, I hope just, he gets a W. Yeah, yeah, I, I hope so too. And let's be honest. Now we've got the Formula One going back to Australia. Man United have just announced a preseason tour to Australia. Would not surprise me in the least to see the UFC go back to Australia later on this year. So maybe Dan Hooker waits for that. Maybe you get to have the you know, mess in your pants experience that I had at UFC London oh, yeah. of your own accord down the there. So we'll be locked and loaded for that. Oh, that's not fair. That's not fair. I had a little taste of it at the uh, Barry Hall, Sonny Bill Williams fight last week. You know, yeah. you can compare those two. <clears throat> but as an aside, who the f thought Barry Hall was going to win that fight? Why did anyone think... Seriously? Yeah, he was the favourite, I think. Uh, maybe Sonny Bill became the favourite right towards the end, but Barry Hall was the favourite for a little bit. Sonny Bill's been training with Tyson Fury. And he's one of the, just the most freakish athletes oh, ever. Yeah. Oh, my God. Anyway, sorry. That, that That's a little aside there. Let's let's keep... Let's bring it back to UFC London. Yeah, just brilliant for Arnold Allen. I think, you know, I want to see him fight Calvin Cater next. That could be, that's probably the fight to make in, in that division because, you know, Max Holloway is there or thereabouts. I don't know, you know, or he fights Max Holloway. That could be a great fight. I'm happy to see either of those. We've got Korean Zombie against Alex Volkanovsky coming up soon. So, yeah, that's um, a lot, some interesting, some interesting fights to be made at the top of the 145 pound division. As always, as always, Always, what a division! Whew. What a division it is. Should we move on to the main event? Take me to from that division to the fucking top of the mountain, the heavyweights, the main event. Tom Aspinall. Even I've been talking that motherfucker up. We've both been talking him up, and fuck, did he deliver? 
But run me through Tom, how you saw the fight live. Tom Aspinall is the truth. <laughs> it looked it looked easy as easy in person as it did on TV. He just he just went through Volkov, and we talked about this. Just savvy veteran. I think I said he was a strike force champion. He was M, I think he was M1 global champion, but he was, you know, a legitimate world-class talent with a lot of skills, a lot of dangerous weapons at the top of the heavyweight division. Tom Aspinall, first fight in front of a big crowd, headline in the event. It's being, you know, built around him. This is his coming out party. What can you do? <sighs> Talk about a cool, calm and collected individual stepping in there. And just, he murked Volkov. Like, he wasn't even close. Jacked him up on the feet. Got that beautiful, beautiful takedown. Just timed it perfectly. And it was all over from there. His offensive grappling is sensational. Just, he's really, really, really looking like he is a complete new breed heavyweight fighter. And his career path is just flying up. And I know we're going to talk about UFC Columbus and I know Chris Dorcas, you know, can, can rally, but there was a time not too long ago when it was Chris Dorcas, Tom Aspinall, don't let them fight yet because the UFC is going to build these two guys up. Well, we know which guy is the truth and a title contender and maybe one who's got heavy hands and is going to be a, you know, going to be a very difficult matchup for people in the heavyweight division, but we're, you know, their stars are headed in very different trajectories at this point. And Tom Aspinall is knocking a knock, knock, knocking on the door of a title shot, especially with all of the uncertainty that surrounds the top of the heavyweight division with Ngannou out injured, with John Jones uncertain whether he's going to get his shit together, with Stipe Miocic unsure of what's going to happen there. But Tom Aspinall called out the fan favorite in the heavyweight division, Shui Vasa. What a fight that would be. Oh, uh, it'll be such a spectacle of a fight, but man, I, I, I don't think the actual fight would be as entertaining as we think. I think Aspinall makes a light work of a guy like Tua Vasa. I really do. I think he's I that hate, good. I hate to say it, man, because, you know, we are a pro Tai Tui Vasa podcast. We love Bam Bam, you know, on this feed but yeah i think so too he tom's not concerned about being considered like a boring fighter whatever he'll take taidu avasa down and submit him i think that's really the most likely outcome uh and it's just whether ty can can land those shots but the problem is tom is so fast and so agile on his feet you know they say in the gym he moves like they call him the, the middleweight because that's that's how he moves and you can re you could really see that noticeably against volkov who Himself, you know, it moves quite well, but it's just a different kettle of fish, man. He just, the way he can navigate range in and out quickly, get off his strikes and get out, his hand speed is electric. Yeah, and he's lost weight. Of course. Yeah, of course Ty could win that fight if he lands because he's got that erasing one-punch power. But if he gets into a grapple contest like he did with Derek Lewis before he was able to land that finishing blow, oh, it's over. It's over. But that's... Mate, you know, it's heavyweight. Anything could happen. I definitely want to see that fight. I need to see that fight. Yeah, you're right. You're fucking right. But in this weird way, my heart kind of sunk when he called him out because I was like, no, I want you guys to stay separate. I want Ty to fight. I just want Ty to get that one huge named fight, whether he wins or loses it. And I feel like Aspinall will stop him from doing that. So I'm like, go away, motherfucker. But he's had that. Derek Lewis is that huge name fight, though. I think he's had that. I think 
Yeah, I think right, he's now the right. huge he's he's now the huge name fight, and I think Tom Aspinall gets that. Oh, you've nailed it. You've convinced me. Put it on in Australia, <laughs> motherfucker. <laughs> yeah, that fight needs to happen in front of fans. That will be absolutely amazing. And to be honest, whatever happens, I don't think either fighter's t- stock takes a huge tumble because they, they are just so high right now. They'll stay top five. Yeah, you're right. And I've to go back to Tom, like what he did to Volkov, I've seen Volkov do that to good heavyweights. You know what I mean? Like he made Volkov yeah. look like he's just a piece of shit unranked dude we've never heard of. Like Volkov, oh, I've seen that motherfucker look like the best fighter on planet Earth or the scariest fighter <laughs> on planet Earth. Like he's yeah. done some shit. He's piecing people out. I'm like, oh, my God, that guy's fucking terrifying. And Tom Aspinall just like made him look like some guy just out the gym who's trained a couple of times or something. It was crazy. I couldn't believe what he like how easy. I thought he was going to win, but I think everyone thought it was going to be a four or five round fight, even Tom himself. Yeah, that seems to be what he was he was preparing for, but he, you know, he just did an excellent job and he just looked it's very clear to the eye when you're watching a fight you're like, "Oh, there's levels within levels in this game and Tom is a level if not two levels above what Volkov had to offer." So, you know, and, you know, uh, you know, I've got to credit Volkov um, just for the way his approach to the fight, because, of course, he was welcome to the octagon with a chorus of boos. But it wasn't really it wasn't bad blood boos. It was just you're fighting, you're fighting Tom Aspinall. So we're going to boo you. And he was laughing like he was smiling and smirking like he knew it was all in good fun. There was no malice to it. It was just, you know, as expected, you're going to get booed. And he, you know. I think I think the fans like switched on MMA crowd. They like you know, they like Volkov. They've seen what he's done in his career, so he, he carried a lot of respect coming into the fight. So that was that was really that was really cool to see. So you know, shout out Volkov, and I, I hope I hope he, he he is able to to come back against someone else in the division and and, and get a win. I'm not sure who 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 would be a good matchup for him right now, but yeah, I, I hope we see Volkov back to his winning ways. I want to talk, while we're still talking about this card and the fights on it, I, we can't ignore Paul Craig. What the... F- that was one of the most bizarre but amazing finishes I've seen. It was incredible. It just shows, again, what confidence this man has in his submission game off of his back. Just sat there eating shots. Honestly, the, the crowd went dead. Because it was, everyone thought Craig had got caught and had, and had been knocked out. Everyone, everyone really thought it was like, oh no, this is this is over. And he managed he managed to survive. And you know, again, give you some insight. As I said, two dudes who know way less about fighting than they think they do. And in fairness, everyone was saying we were all sat going, this is such a bad game plan. He can't just sit there off his back and attempt to be throwing up hail mary submissions. He can't do it. He's gonna lose this round, like. Hilarious. And then he shows it all up and just, he knew it. And he, he described it perfectly as post-fight. He knew, he saw it was there. And he was just, he was letting him tee off with those shots because as he was swinging the shot, he was giving up his position and his base to allow Paul Craig to attack the triangle. And he did it and he throws it so fast and so tight. And then he turned the corner as you do in a triangle submission. And it was it. It was all over. It was so tight. It was just, just a brilliant, brilliant, um, submission uh by by paul craig now i don't know how long that you know 
that continues to continues to last, but he's moved up to eight in the division. He's he's called out, I think he called out Anthony Smith. He's called out Rakic, who but Rakic has got a, a fight made with Jan Blahovic. So yeah, there's there's fights to me. I think the obvious one is to just give him Ankalaev, who 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 had his own win over Tiago Santos. So give him Ankalaev and, and and see where they go from there. I like it. But great performance. Great performance. Now if there's any other fights you want to touch on, we can do that. But I actually want to talk about Dana in London. I couldn't believe just how good of a mood that dude was in for basically the entire week and then capped it off with giving the whole main card uh, bonuses. But every interview he did, even though his voice was pretty much gone, I think he had a throat infection or something. But like usually when Dana's that busy, you can sense after a while that he just becomes a grumpy cunt. And and he was not that at all from the from the start to the finish. I'm sure he was seeing dollar signs. That's probably why. But it was just nice oh, yeah. to see because I thought he would just be off it. That whole culture seems like pretty much the opposite of the stuff he's into, and he just embraced it completely. A smile on his face the whole time was getting around Molly, getting around Patty. Loved every minute of it, and it honestly just made for for the people that weren't there, for the people that were watching the whole thing on the TV. It made it so much better when he just capped it off with um, the comments he was making. Yeah, Dana was fun to watch that week. He he was in a great mood. He was obviously in a great mood because that fight it was just selling all kinds of dollars. But yeah, he was he was feeling generous. I think he gave out nine post fight bonuses to everyone who got a finish on the card. So. That's yeah, it. that was fun, and I, I hope he does. I hope he does does more of that moving forward because the UFC has got. He's obviously making so much money, and we can talk fighter pay issues to death. But you know, fifty k to a lot of fighters on that card makes a huge, huge difference, and is is isn't really hurting the UFC's bottom line. So I, I hope we see more of that. And he has sort of increased, you know, been a bit more laissez faire with them recently, and then and then UFC London was really the. Wow. Okay. Everyone gets a bonus. You get it. He was like Oprah. You get a bonus. You get a bonus. It was. It was great. That was. It was really good to see. And yeah, he 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 loved the UK crowd, and he said, "I don't care what the schedule is. We're we're coming back." And it's because the fans showed up. The fans were so loud. They were so raucous. They were so enthusiastic. It just. It was special, man. And maybe it was because the the scene had been starved for three years from the UFC. But honestly, the demand for the tickets was so fervent that. Yeah, it's getting, it's, they, they will sell out the, you know, whether they do the O2 again, whether they go and do uh, the MEN Arena, whatever the hell it's called, Manchester now, that's that's a decent sized venue. I think the MN uh, Marks and Spencer's Arena uh, at, at Liverpool is probably a bit too small, especially if they're putting Paddy on it. I don't know how it work with stadiums and all that. I just, I have no idea. But there are plenty of stadiums in the UK. The problem is the weather is just so unpredictable. Whether they, you know, build a big marquee over it and what they're able to do with that, we'll have to wait and see. But weather is a big factor um, for, for for obvious reasons. So, yeah, they'll be back to the UK. They'll be back to the UK this year for sure. Cannot wait. Is there anything London that you have left out that has to be on this pod? Because I want to hear. Oh, <clears throat> uh, I just want to give a shout out to Jack Shaw who put in a fantastic performance. Um, should be ranked in the top 15. He's undefeated. I don't know what the, what is going on there, but he put in a magnificent performance. And Alea Taporia took a, let's, let's be honest, took a beating 
from 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 Jay Herbert for the first few minutes of that fight, I was like, oh dear, this this could go wrong. And then he caught him with that right hand. And like Carolina, uh, poor uh, Jay Herbert took a little nap nap in the underworld for, for for quite a while. He that was that was a horrendous knockout. I hope I hope he's going to be okay. I hope the UFC sticks with him because he hasn't had a great start to his UFC career. But he's matched up against some real tough dudes. Taporia was just another one that presented a lot of problems, and he showed, you know, he he was able to hang, and then he made a mistake and got clipped with an absolute howitzer. So, yeah, I think the UFC will probably give him one more opportunity. Maybe when they come back to the UK later in the year, they'll get him on the undercard and and see how we go from there. What an event! And the key to the event, at least from the the stay-at-home perspective, which let's be honest, it's obviously you're probably ninety-eight percent of the people watching it are at home on their couch or in a pub. Yeah. What made the difference was the crowd. It fucking every. It just felt like a pay-per-view. the The results made everything better. Blah 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 blah. But the crowd was the fucking difference. And look, it wasn't as good of a crowd. But UFC Columbus on the weekend just gone also had a crowd, and it was just so 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 good to watch. There's the amount of I forgot how good it was. I really did because there's been the occasional fight nights where I'm just like, nah, I won't watch it or. I'll watch it later. I'll rewatch it during the week. And I flicked this one with that attitude, but I didn't want to miss the Kai Kara France fight. And I'm like, I'll make sure I watch that. And then I was glued. I didn't fucking take my eyes off the the rest of the event. Went back and watched a couple of the other fights. The crowd is everything. And Dana, you've got me for seven hours on the couch every fucking Sunday if you have a crowd in the in the uh, venue. That's it, man. It makes such a difference to the broadcast. Uh, we, you know, compared to the Apex Center. And we saw that all through the COVID lockdowns where there were no fans in stadiums and people were watching Premier League and like, oh, we don't, so much so, they were pumping in fake crowd noise because it makes that much of a difference to the broadcast. And, you know, even having fans fill the stadium adds something to the broadcast, even if they're not making that much noise. If you're watching a game of football or rugby league or whatever it is, and it's just littered with empty seats throughout, and that's being captured on the broadcast, it really does change the atmosphere of watching it through the TV. It's a really strange thing to explain, but everyone who watches live sport knows exactly what we're talking about here. And yeah, it was the same for UFC Columbus. I watched a couple of the fights live because um, we're out about doing things. But you know, you know, I tuned in for for Kai Car France. That was that was that was a very very good performance by uh, Kai, who was a heavy underdog. A lot of people tout Naskarov as you know the champion in waiting, just this elite wrestler. And the way the first round played out, we went, oh, maybe that is going to be the case. But Kai was so composed on the ground, really did an excellent job. And I suppose if we want to draw parallels, that it was to the Dan Hooker-Islam Makachev fight, Dan just wasn't composed on the ground and made a mistake and got tapped. Kai stayed extremely composed, wasn't stressed at all, rode the submissions, defended the chokes, and got up and saw it through to the second round. And then he was like, oh, that's... That's what you've got. I don't need to be as afraid of this. He was able, he's because, and because Askarov's striking is quite limited, he wasn't able to set up the takedowns to the strikes 
as well as he wanted to. Because of that, Kai was able to put him on the back foot and he was timing the takedowns as well because he could see them then coming. He wasn't threatening the takedowns behind a setup of strikes, of kicks. So Kai in the second round just looked fantastic. He looked like he belonged at the top elite level of that division. And then the third round was close, sure. But I still think Kai did enough. I, I don't think it was a controversial decision. I think Kai won that fight. And I know you're always going to be biased watching it with that you know fan eye of the fighter instead of trying to just remain middle of the road down the line. But I truly do think Kai did enough to win that fight. I think he should be very proud of that performance. And he's there or thereabouts knocking for the next title shot. It's now been agreed or verbally agreed what the, the Moreno uh, versus Figueredo were going to run it back for a fourth time. Figueredo's maybe backtracking on on Instagram saying that Moreno's team is racist or something. I don't know what's going on there. I haven't had time to really dive into those comments. I will say he, I think he called Kai a dirty Kiwi recently. So, you know, those in glass houses and all that, uh, you know, Mr. Figueredo. Uh, but yeah, re regardless of what happens, Kai is now cemented as the number one contender, assuming that fourth fight happens. But, you know, crazier things have happened. COVID's still floating about. They're still testing fighters, cornermen, all of that kind of stuff. And he said he's going to be there waiting and ready. He's not going back to New Zealand because he wants to be there to take his shot and fight for the title if it comes. So, yeah, he's doing everything right at this point to really make the UFC have no other option but to give him a title shot. Yeah, I, and I couldn't be happier about it. He was someone that uh, was pretty much at the exact same spot in my mind as Dan Hooker. Like, I'm... Like, he's fucking good and he's right there, but I'm not actually sure if he can get to that title level. I just wasn't sure about it. And these last two fights, he's just been like, fuck you all. Fuck all you doubters. You should have just trusted me. And credit to that camp, man. Like, they're doing something right. They just keep breeding killers. And it's not just that. It's like they've all got the best attitude possible for fighting. Like Dan Hooker's on like a five fight losing streak and even he is just has the best attitude still. Adesan is at the top of the level. He could just be the most arrogant piece of shit, inconsiderate dickhead. And I'm sure some people see his Instagram or something and think that's that what that's what he is. But if you follow him close enough, you know that he's not that. He's just a showman. Yeah. Which I love. And yeah, that that camp deserves so much credit. Uh and so do the fighters, but it's it's special and I think we're going to look back on it in 10 years, just this crazy, just like a like just a machine that just breeds winners and hopefully um, a couple more champions. Yeah, absolutely. Just a, a great three-fight winning streak for, for Kai Kaikara France. And as you said, he's just coming out of a school, a camp of assassins who, who really um, you know, approach the fight game in a, in a really, really exciting manner. But, you know, this, again, the fight night's deliver, man. The fight night's deliver because that wasn't the only great fight on this card. We have a potential, probably won't get there, but fight of the year, early fight of the year contender in Matt Brown versus Brian Barberena. What a fight, but potentially controversial decision. I'm going to throw it over to you because I want to hear your thoughts on the fight and who you thought won. Yeah, it was one of those fights where, First of all, it was fucking insane. Unbelievable. All of the above. If you have not watched it, go and watch it. If you're disappointed, there's something wrong with you. Um, 
It was unbelievable. Yes. But I would see a doctor seek mental help yeah. if you're disappointed <laughs> by that fight because, yeah. But it was a fight where if you're a, or not even a casual, if you if you're an MMA hater and you think it's just like you know certified bar fights. It kind of fucking was one of those, like in a weird way. It <laughs> yes. was just yeah. Not Don't show that to someone experience. who's like, it's human cockfighting in a steel cage, because that kind of was in that fight. <laughs> yeah. And it doesn't help that Matt Brown, bless him, throughout his career has worn so much damage that his face turns into mush off a jab. Yeah, yeah. He looked like, yeah, he's he's a UFC man's approaching player, Nate Diaz <laughs> levels of scar tissue. Yeah, he he really does look like someone that's just drunk. And in a bar, and um, but oh my god, those guys! The which is ironic because he's he's teetotal sober, doesn't doesn't drink, which is makes it even funnier. Yeah, well, has, it, has he always <laughs> been like that? I guess that's why he's still fit and firing. No, well, he I think in his UFC career has, but he you know famously used to be a heroin addict yeah, yeah, and nearly died. So like, it, but since he's been fighting, hasn't touched a thing i'm pretty sure i'm pretty sure fighting was his like ticket out of being a smackhead and yeah. he's you know got his life on the straight and narrow yeah it shows because someone his age shouldn't be able to take the punishment that he took if he you know if he's lived he obviously yeah he obviously looks after himself and there was a time you know i'm just gonna pull up his record here but because i think didn't he, he he was one fight away from the title I, I i if i recall correctly he's 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 had a hell of a career and it really did seem like it was probably going to be going to be over. Um, I think. I think that fight against Donald Cerrone was like. Was that going to be maybe a? Uh, no, sorry, sorry. Against Robbie Lawler, that was the title eliminator. Uh, but Brown missed weight, and then he, he ended up losing to Robbie Lawler in an insane fight. And then he dropped three in a row, got murked by Donald Cerrone, and it was like, oh, I'm not sure. Like, is this going to be the end of it? And then he came back, and that horrendous knockout of Diego, Diego Sanchez, one of the all-time elbow finishes in the UFC. And then he loses to Miguel Baeza, Carlos Conant, and you're like, oh, I don't know. And then he comes back and starches Diego Lima, and you're like, wait, what? That that wasn't supposed to happen. That was supposed to be a, 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 you know, a platform for Diego Lima, but Matt Brown didn't get the script. And then, I'll be honest, I thought Matt Brown won this fight and I know it was a split decision and I know the majority, I think of MMA media gave it to Brian Barberena, but I think, I think Matt Brown won that two to one. I thought he, he won rounds two, uh, one and two and, and did enough to get the decision and rounds round three wasn't enough to be a 10, eight round either, which would have made it a draw, a draw. So yeah, man, I, I think he's been, he's been hard done by there. I, uh, you know, it doesn't, it doesn't change his stock in any way. Uh, Matt Brown's career at this point isn't about fighting for the title. It doesn't matter that his record is 23 and 19. What we know is Matt Brown is a certified gangster who will fight anyone in the division, turn up and scrap hard and put on a show for the fight. For, put on a show for the fight fans, sorry. Yeah, and... Honestly, if you haven't watched it, just go and watch it, just that fight. It, it was... It was old school UFC. It was a throwback to Yeah. It had it had old school vibes to two dudes just throwing down in the center of the cage. It was it was good. It was it was a proper it was a proper scrap. Yep. And let's go straight to the main event. Uh Curtis Blades. <whistles> uh 
How did you tell me how you saw this fight actually? And I want to see if um, we're thinking the same. What um, you were thinking at the start and blah blah blah. Well, obviously, everyone expected Blades to wrestle because that's his his forte, and Dorcas has got dangerous hands. But I remember a little while ago, man, when we were talking about this, the landscape of this this heavyweight division and what was going on. I remember saying, "Don't sleep on Curtis Blades' hands." Yes, he's a wrestler. Yes, that's what he's very good at. But he's in the heavyweight division, and if he lands his hands on you, then yeah, it's it's gonna be it's gonna be bad news for you. And um, just look, look at his record. Like he's got a knockout win over Junior Dos Santos. He's got a TKO uh, win over, uh, you know, Abdurakimov. He's got a, a elbow win over Alistair Overeem, which is obviously that one that just, <laughs> but, you know, he's a big boy who throws hard when he throws. Like, yes, he's a wrestling base fighter. Yes, that's his bread and butter. Yes, he will use that to his advantage if he's massively outclassed on the feet. But I think we're finding out Chris Dorcas's level in the heavyweight division. He's still very young. There's still lots to to, uh, to 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 come in his career. But you know, he dropped two on the bounce now. But he went on a tear. He's still got those extremely heavy hands. So you know, Chris Dorcas is going to be a problem in the you know mid to you know lower lower upper class of the heavyweight division i just think it's clear that he isn't the prospect that maybe the ufc were hoping he was going to be at this point but i still think for from a heavyweight perspective he's he's quite young well, th 32 32 so you know m m maybe not maybe not so maybe he has found found his level outside of the top five top eight of the uh, and and you know he will piece guys up and he will keep winning performance of the night bonuses for knocking dudes out in spectacular fashion we got to congratulate Curtis Blades and who's now injected himself back into the, the conversation at, at, at the top of the heavyweight division. He's ranked number four. He's ahead of Derek Lewis. He's ahead of the aforementioned Tom Aspinall and he's one below tie to Ivasa. So there's plenty of fights for him in, in this division. So yeah, he's, he's not, he's not done at the top, not by a long shot. 100%. I, I thought it was going to win. I thought Dorcas would win. To be honest, I, I feel like an idiot now, but uh, I thought he was going to get it done. And then at the, in, even in the first round, I was like, Blades isn't really defending himself. He's just trying to like knock him out. I'm like, this seems a bit stupid. I feel like Douglas mm -hmm. might um might have the mental edge. Might get this. And I was wrong in all fucking facets of being wrong. I was wrong and I'll admit it. Well for the third time on this show, let me refer to our wonderful listeners to the disclaimer at the top of the show. <laughs> but, but that's it, man. That's why we love MMA because it is just such an unpredictable game and you can have such a strong opinion one way and then bam, it changes uh, or you're just completely wrong or you can be so sure something's going to happen and it does. It, the best feeling is when you're so sure of an underdog Oh, you, you, you know, everyone's leaning one way and you're like, no, no, man, I see something that, you know, obviously we don't have the greatest analyst eye. Obviously that's true. <laughs> but sometimes when you spend as much time watching the UFC as we do, and you sometimes you just hone in on a particular fighter, it doesn't mean that you have the same eye for every fighter in every fight, but sometimes you just see something about a dude and go, oh yeah, I, 
I'm I'm really rating this guy. I think he's got a lot more to offer than sort of the general consensus fan base thinks. And it is a lovely feeling when that happens. Exactly. Exactly. And let's just go. I just want to move. We've covered the fights. I'm just going to move to something that shows that maybe we are uh, a bit more of an expert than we think we are. And the parlay got up. Once again, yeah, baby. UFC London. I couldn't believe it, mate, but we put a sneaky one on for London. You were going to be there. It's the biggest event other than a pay-per-view this year. Let's get around it. And we delivered. We're two in a row now. If you've actually put the same stake on every multi, you would be up. You'd be profiting now. So That's it. You know what it is. I told you, once we get hot... Can't see one losing oh. from here on out. No, that's it. We're never gonna lose. The punch drunk parlay will and cannot lose in the future. That's it. Seriously. We are hot, baby. And this streak is not slowing down. Make sure we are like the Tom Aspinall. The card because we're gonna give you we the are the Tom Aspinall of <laughs> parlays. We are a train that is firing and is not slowing down. Oh, we used to be the Barry Hall. <laughs> We used to be the Barry Hall, and uh, it would be over in the first fight. But now we're we're in form. <laughs> the formula is there. We can't we can't uh, disclose the formula right now because I think all the betting agencies would be onto us. They'd probably that's it, man. We can't now. we can't let you know what our secret algorithm is. But <laughs> we've got the betting wink, wink. <laughs> betting agencies don't know this secret. We should write an article. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> sports books five things sports books don't want you to know click here to give your computer aids and find out our secrets <laughs> oh shit i'd say most of our listeners probably already have aids so <laughs> <laughs> yeah if you if you can somehow get it through osmosis through the ears of just a swirl of drivel <laughs> that we that we spit on a weekly basis on this podcast then yes our audience has certainly been infected, but before, well, you know, and let's, let's just pause the self-fallatant here for a second and just, and just think and talk about the excitement, the UFC 273, which is coming up because, oh baby, there is, there is lots, lots to like about this card. Um, from, yeah, from, from the main event, obviously, the champ, the best 145er on the planet right now. You heard me say it. That's right. Alexander Volkanovsky, huge favorite against Korean Zombie. That's going to be a great fight. And then we've got Aljo Sterling against Pyotr Jan in this absolute oh, grudge match. Champion versus champion. And then what? Gilbert Burns against Hamzat Chumayev who's a minus 525 favorite already and only getting bigger. I might have to sprinkle a standalone bet on Mr. Gilbert Burns because there is some money to be made if he gets it done against Kamzat Chimaev. I don't necessarily think he will. There is some... And Mackenzie Dern, by the way, don't forget that. Always bet Mackenzie Dern to win by submission. That's just how it goes. We And then, oh man, Kelvin Gastelum 
against Drifus Duplessis. Filthy. This this card is absolutely disgusting, and I think we've got now a week off, and then that's the next cab off the rank. That is the next yeah. UFC next card, card that is going to be coming be your way. Just a. <clears throat> it's going to be all everything UFC two seventy three that you need to know. I can't wait. Give me the countdown. Give me the embedded. Give me Darren Till and Kamzat Chimaev grappling in a target. Oh man. The content around this card is going to be absolutely sensational. And I, for one, cannot bloody wait. Um, we also, you know, a couple of more things before we get on out of here. We obviously, we forgot to mention that Leon Edwards is finally being confirmed as the next contender, the next person to challenge the throne of the welterweight king, Kamaro Usman. What a fight that's going to be, and Leon is going to be so disrespected. We're going to see some crazy lines coming out for that fight. And one of the biggest talking points, I woke up one morning, and I was like, wait, what? Jorge Masvidal and Colby have got into it in the streets? Wow. Now, you could spend forever talking about this. We've got people in two camps. We've got the you words are words. You never hit them. You know, you can't assault a man for, for words. This is not the way. And you got the other Jorge Masvidal learned about that life, man. Da, 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 da. The way I see it is that both of these dudes are really in the wrong in this situation. Maybe Colby pushed the, pushed the envelope too far with his shit talk, but also Jorge, come on, dude. You got absolutely bitched out in that fight. You had 25 minutes and were paid like a million dollars to do something about it. You couldn't. And so you resort to sprinting past and, and you know, coward punching Colby Covington. Like if you want to get into a street fight with the guy, fine. But in all seriousness, and it's been a problem in Australia and we, you know, we, we saw the, pro the, 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 the tragic uh, incident happen. Let's call it what it is. Murder happen of Fauvake. Uh, out of city kickboxing, getting coward punched and falling and hitting his head and dying. Like, yeah, Colby's a tough dude and he's got a good chin, but if you don't see a punch coming and you get you get hit like that, especially by someone who can hit as hard as Masvidal, things could have been a lot worse than a cracked tooth. But having said that, Colby, don't press charges, man. Don't be that guy. You, you know, there are consequences for the things that you do. So Jorge was in the wrong, in my opinion, for doing it. But then also Colby is acting like a clown, pressing charges as well. And really the best thing that both of them can do is run it back on a, on a fight again and just get inside the octagon because clearly this beef has not been squashed. Run it back. Jorge, if you want to go and work on your wrestling and think you can do something different, run it back. Let's go. I'd watch that fight again. Yeah, it's a, it's a weird one. Like, we all, we, like at the end of the day, we don't really know every detail, I'm sure. There might be something else to it, but from what we do know, yeah. it sounds fucked. <laughs> That's a good way of putting it. That's a good way of putting it. Is there anything else you want to talk about? It's so good to see your beautiful face. Oh, thank you. It's great to be back. Um, yeah, just, oh, we could talk about so much more, but you know, we're conscious of time here, so we'll wrap up this episode and we'll be back with a bang next week, previewing all things UFC 273 because... If you couldn't tell, I'm just a little bit excited for that pay-per-view. <laughs> Can't wait. Love you, mate. Love you too, mate. We'll talk soon.
That's the last.